Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. Hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program, our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts. This is your host, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Courtney Luking, our Extension Specialist for Dietetics and Human Nutrition. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you. Happy to be here. So today's topic, you entitled it Sorting Fact from Fiction About Food Allergies. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about some truths and I guess myths out there about food allergies, and you're going to help us sort it all out. But I think we just kick off with kind of the basics of what are food allergies? Yes, great question. So our bodies have immune systems and they protect us from things like bacteria and viruses that could make us sick. And a food allergy is when our immune system overreacts to a protein in a food that would otherwise be harmless. And so the symptoms can affect a lot of different body parts. They can affect our lungs, our heart, our throat, our skin, our mouth, our gut, and even our psychological feelings. For example, we feel like something bad might happen. And these symptoms can be mild. So you may have an itchy mouth or you may break out in hives on your skin, but they can also be really severe. And this includes difficulty breathing, a tightness in throat, and they can even be life-threatening. Anaphylaxis is an example of that severe reaction. It affects your breathing and your blood circulation, and it can result in confusion or loss of consciousness. So I have a question about terminology that sometimes we hear the word food intolerance. Is that the same thing as a food allergy or how are they different? A food intolerance, or sometimes you might hear people use the term food sensitivity as well. And this is actually something different. So an intolerance or a sensitivity does not involve the immune system. And that is the biggest difference. But unfortunately, we can't really see that on the surface. Some of the symptoms can be similar to what I described for a food allergy, but they're usually a lot less serious. So you'll feel uncomfortable, but they're not necessarily life-threatening. With food allergies, typically you can't really eat any amount of the food without causing some sort of reaction. But with an an intolerance or um, a sensitivity, sometimes you can tolerate small amounts. And I think I like to think of milk as a great example. I was just getting ready to ask about milk. Yes. So milk is a great example to help us understand the difference between these two terms. It is possible for someone to have a milk allergy and or a milk intolerance. And so an allergy would be when the body's immune system responds to a protein in milk that leads to those severe, more severe symptoms like the rashes or itching, hives, or even trouble breathing or wheezing. But lactose intolerance is an example of when our body doesn't have enough of an enzyme that typically helps us break down the sugar found in milk. And that can lead to uncomfortable GI symptoms like bloating or gas or things like that. So that I think that's a great example to kind of think about how it can come from the same food, but it really looks differently in how your body's responding. 
I do. I think that's helpful just for me to better understand the terminology of when we're talking about an allergy or if we're talking about an intolerance. I also want to to ask a little bit about, we hear quite a bit in the news or through schools about changes in school policies that make it really kind of seem like food allergies are on the rise, that sometimes, you, you know, I think back to when maybe I was in elementary school and there just wasn't a lot of conversations going on at school about food allergies. But now with my kiddos, there certainly are. So have incidences of food allergies increased or are we just more aware of them now? It's a combination of both. So according to the Food Allergy Research and Education, there are a large number of Americans who are affected by food allergies, about 32 million. That's about one in every 13 children, or if you're thinking about a classroom, that could be two children in every classroom. And they also affect about one in 10 adults. If you do suspect you have an allergy for yourself or a loved one, I would highly recommend that you seek a qualified medical professional to help evaluate, diagnose, and or treat. Because sometimes we react or we think we have a response to something, it may or may not be an allergy. And a self-diagnosis could lead to some unnecessary dietary restrictions. And that could be potentially problematic for children if we're cutting out um, certain foods or food groups that we think they might be sensitive or allergic to. Great. So now I just want to move into some common questions that I think people may have about food allergies. And the first one focuses on about when do we develop allergies? So is it true that food allergies only develop in childhood? That would be false. Food allergies can develop in childhood, but they can also develop in adulthood. And this is where it can become really confusing or unclear um, because the food allergies can actually develop to foods we've eaten before, even foods that we've eaten for years. But I will say when children have food allergies, it is possible that they could outgrow some of those. The most common allergies that children can outgrow include milk, egg, wheat, and soy. But if children are allergic to fish or shellfish and peanuts, to your example of hearing about increases in peanuts or tree nuts, Uh unfortunately, they're less likely to grow out of those allergies. So I will say I have what I think are some very odd food allergies, and I did not develop them until my late teens or early 20s. And one of them is ginger, which I've just think is really odd. And maybe it's not, maybe it's more common, but um, I often have to have this conversation with my mom because I wasn't allergic to ginger as a child. And so I could drink something like ginger ale, or she could prepare a recipe with ginger in it. And then somewhere in my early twenties, just, I became very allergic to it. And surprisingly, it can be a hidden ingredient in quite a few things. But my mom will still say today, well, you ate this as a child. Why can't you eat it now? But it is kind of odd how this switch just flipped at a point in time. And all of a sudden, I was allergic to it. It can be really confusing because of the fact that you were able to tolerate it before. And, And that kind of brings up a good point. If you don't mind, I'll go ahead and mention it, is that 
exposures to small amounts of these foods can cause mild or severe reactions, and we can't predict the severity. So again, even if you were okay eating something, and we we still don't know a firm cause of why food allergies happen, it can be really tough to try to tell when you become too allergic to something, and it may be kind of a trial and error until you are able to start to put pieces together that, oh, something has changed and I should probably check into this. Yeah. And that one was a hard one to put together because it's, it's uncommon. It's not something that you would traditionally, I guess, think of as a food allergy. And that kind of moves me on to the next question of what is the most common or severe food allergy? So peanuts usually come to people's mind that it might be the most severe. It is probably one of the most talked about. Um, however, it is, while it is, can cause severe reactions for some, it's one of the eight most common foods to cause serious symptoms. So it's kind of like the big eight. These include milk, egg, wheat, soy, fish, shellfish, peanuts, and tree nuts. But to your point, Jennifer, there are more than 170 foods that have been known to cause allergic reactions. So while there are eight that cause a majority of food allergies, there are a large number of seemingly interesting or what we might have thought odd to cause a food allergy. (laughs) But yeah, so there are a lot of different causes of food allergies. Now I want to circle back to something that you said just a minute ago about do allergic reactions get worse each time? So the more that I'm exposed to a certain food that may cause a reaction, is that reaction going to get worse each time I'm exposed? So the truth here is that reactions are pretty unpredictable. So there's common thought or myth that reactions get more severe the more time you are exposed to a food. But the reality is you may have a severe reaction the first time and maybe a more mild reaction the next time. Or it could be flip-flopped where you had maybe a mild reaction, you didn't even put two and two together. And the next time you were exposed to that food that you had a more severe reaction. And so the best way is to prevent reactions through avoiding contact with those problem foods. But you may not realize yet that a food is a problem. Um, But once you know that you do have allergies, the next line of defense, if you will, is making sure you always have emergency medication available because you don't know when or if you'll have a severe reaction. Okay. So now my next question is for all the parents out there. Is there a way to prevent food allergies from developing? As I mentioned earlier, we don't know the exact cause of food allergies, and therefore we can't necessarily give solid advice on how to prevent it. But I will share that the American Academy of Pediatrics has offered several recommendations based on their review of available evidence. And some of the recommendations include once you have an infant, you want to wait to introduce solid foods until they are at least four to six months old. And this is really important because they their guts are still developing. And there's some thoughts that this immature gut and exposure to these solid foods could be linked with developing allergies. Another way to protect your little one is to exclusively breastfeed for the first three to four months or as long as possible. This can reduce or help protect your child against eczema, which is a known risk factor for food allergies. Another piece of advice or recommendation is women do not have to restrict their diets during pregnancy or breastfeeding. We often thought that, oh, well, if a mother consumed milk, maybe that could, or I'm sorry, milk or peanuts or fish, anything, kind of those big common eight, that it could potentially 
expose their child and then cause a problem, but there's, there's no evidence that you need to eliminate these and to go ahead and include them. And then finally, this, this last bit of advice would be probably something you would discuss with your child's care, medical care provider. But sometimes if we suspect that an infant has allergies to milk or a formula, they have what are called hydrolyzed formulas, meaning that the proteins in that formula are broken down into smaller parts. Originally, even just within the last 10 years, this advice has changed. They thought that that could help prevent food allergies, but they're finding that that is not the case. And therefore, these very specialized formulas, which are oftentimes more expensive, are not necessarily warranted for the specific reason of trying to prevent food allergies. That's interesting. That's interesting. And you mentioned earlier that peanuts was kind of in the top eight or the big eight when it comes to food allergens. As we begin to wrap up today, would you mind to share just a little bit in terms of guidelines for parents on peanut allergies. I know that when my children were really small, that that was one of, um, and I guess just because it's in the news so much, but that was one of my concerns is that they could develop a peanut allergy and how to be mindful of that. Yes. And this, I remember when the results from this study came out a few years ago, it was quite the buzz and excitement in the allergy world because there was often this idea to avoid exposures to things like peanuts at that early age, but they're finding that actually early exposure could help prevent allergies down the road. And so the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease issued guidance in 2017 that defined who is at high, moderate, or low-risk categories of infants for developing a peanut allergy. So I think most people are wanting to know, is my infant high risk? And right. def- Yes. And so they define high risk as those infants who have severe eczema or who have an egg allergy or perhaps both. And in those cases, you would want to work with your child's medical provider to introduce peanuts early. So again, this is counter to what we had thought, like, oh, if we think they're high risk, avoid exposure. But evidence actually shows the opposite, that infants should be exposed between that four to six month age range. Infants who are considered to be at kind of that moderate risk category are those infants that have mild or moderate eczema. And they should also be exposed to peanuts around six months of age. One of the differences between these two groups is that the high-risk infant group should have an IgE testing before being exposed. And this is just looking at their immunoglobin levels. And your medical care provider can work with you more on that. Wonderful. Courtney, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing more awareness about food allergies. I know that you have provided several links to us that we will share with our listeners through the podcast notes and our transcription online if they would like to find out additional information about food allergy awareness. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition and health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question, or a show topic idea, leave a like and comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. It starts with us.